0: All right, let's do this. Peanut if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello and welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast. The talky, touchy-feely, lovey dovey all in the family version of my book, Photo Work: 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. Hello, everyone. I'm Sasha Wolf, recording at the Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, New York. And I am joined as usual by my friend and producer. Forgive me, I don't have a joke today, Michael, <laughs> but not because I'm not still funny, just because I have no excuse. But anyway, let me introduce <laughs> well, you, Michael Chovendalton. Hello, Michael.
1: Well, hello there. I, I, it's perfectly understandable. <laughs> it's, uh... I'm running out, not going to lie. That's all right. I was wondering how long we could uh, keep that going. I know.
0: I I think most people, if we took an online poll, would say that it died (laughs) a long time ago. So if the question, how long can we keep it going? uh, I think probably maybe like episode five or six, but that didn't stop me.
1: (laughs) All right. You know, when the ground thaws, we can uh, print them all out, put them in a box, and have a nice little ceremony for them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that idea. Let's do it. Oh, my God. The ground has to thaw. It also has to we have, like, uh, oh, my God. We have so much snow up here. It's, it's really, it's sort of amazing. It's the snowiest winter I can remember. You are um,
1: definitely in a... a, a- a different uh, climate up there. I mean, we have a lot of snow. More Again, like you just said, a lot more snow than we've had since, I don't know, 2016 or so. But um, yes, uh, you are definitely in a, a much colder snowier yeah, area. Yeah, every
0: time it rains where you are, it's snowing up here, including today, um, <laughs> huh. this morning. So Doug dug the car out, slid down the mountain, and here I am. Um, mm-hmm. So listen, I wanted to just tell our viewers, our viewers... <laughs> <laughs> Guess
1: what? Oh, my God. It's they're watching us?
0: It's now a television show. <laughs> if you tune into public access. Oh, um, that would be awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now for see, the community calendar. They'd see me
0: here in, in my snow gear with my hat on. Um, so <laughs> our listeners that um, got our coupon code back. Thank you, Aperture. Yay. So if people go to the Aperture website and want to pick up books, assuming they're not already like hugely discounted. When they go to checkout, you can use the code again, photowork30, photowork30, and you will get 30% off on Aperture Books. So very exciting.
1: Yes, that's great.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thanks, Aperture. And let me just think, any other housekeeping? We have Mark Steinmetz coming up. So that's exciting. And um, some other really exciting guests after that. But well, you um, and I,
1: didn't you and I just uh, load up on Mark Steinmetz books? <laughs> yes,
0: I got three, and I already have a whole lot, so Mark right. is taking over my photo library. <laughs>
1: I did the same.
0: <laughs> yeah, because Nasralli, uh reprinted a bunch of books of Mark's that have been sold out for a while, so I don't know exactly. if they're still available because a lot of people got wind of this, but yeah, I'm thrilled to to have those in my collection.
1: Yeah, they're, they're nicely printed, too.
0: Yeah, beautiful, really beautiful. In fact, my uncle went to pick one up the other day, and I was like, be careful with that. Are your hands clean? I, <laughs> I think I scared him. He now told me never, to pack my bags and go home.
1: That's right. He'll never look <laughs> at another book of yours in the house.
0: <laughs> so anyway, today is a great conversation, today's episode with the co-founder of Humble Arts Foundation, photographer, John Feinstein, what did you think of the episode?
1: Well, you know, I have always been fascinated and interested in this sort of early online world of photography because I missed it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been around a while and I I really miss the, you know, these early photography blogs. And in John's case, his, you know, he started an online gallery uh, probably before anyone else was doing this. Um, And, you know, to the point where he describes, you know, these little thumbnails that he was posting, which, you know, probably looked huge back then on old computers. But yeah, John, you know, John's always been interested in the democratization of showing work and who gets to show work. And, you know, that seems even more relevant today. And he's still doing it. He's doing such a, you know, an amazing job with Humble Arts. And, you know, he's just someone who has spent so much of his career showing others work that now, you know, the other sort of part of his life is thinking more about his own work and how to make that work more personal. So it's just a, a great conversation that that goes from this, you know, early part of his career, which is continuing to this sort of uh, renewed interest in his own work.
0: Yeah. You know, I love talking to him about Humbarts. Look, I love talking to him about his work as well. Don't want to have to pick, uh, <laughs> pick a winner there. But, you know, I... I I do remember when Humble Arts Foundation started, and I've I've seen it evolve into what it is today, which is, in my opinion, incredibly important, really singular website mm-hmm. that does achieve exactly I think what they what they set out to do. Look, there's there's definitely less slots right now for photographers in art galleries and right. so you know it's very important to have other platforms and other ways of getting uh great photographers work out there and and also I think that humble really is you know one of the leaders in sort of also talking about what what is great work I mean John and I don't get into this so much, but I think of humble very much that way as sort of really opening up the discussion about. All the different characteristics and the different attributes that make work important. So there isn't a single arbiter, like right? That. That's
1: the 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 conversation right now is it's all about gatekeepers. And uh, John has always been someone interested in you know alternative pathways, uh, uh, ways of showing your work, even even when there were a lot of galleries at the height of the gallery world. You know, humble arts was there. Yeah, just want to also
0: mention Amani Olu, who was... Uh, John does. Yes. We do talk about Amani, but just just to make clear that it was Amani and John who started Humble together and what an amazing job they've done. Anyway, so before we uh, go on and on, why don't we uh, listen to John talk about the origins of Humble Arts and, and his own
1: photographic journey.
0: So if you don't mind, uh, Michael, please take it away.
1: Yes. Uh, and I just want to... Squeeze in one little note uh, while you're listening to this show. uh, There is an open call for a group show mentioned in the show. So definitely Ah, uh, listen for that. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, that was very important. Thank you. All right. So here is your conversation with John Feinstein.
0: John Feinstein, welcome to the Photo Work Podcast. Thank you so much for, uh, yeah, being on the show.
2: Oh, thank, thank you so much, Sasha, for having me. I'm, I'm really, really excited for this and uh, really honored, honored to be here. Oh, my
0: God. Cut that out. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I appreciate you. <laughs> I love talking to my friends. So... Um, John. So tell us a little bit about your trajectory and, and how you got to where you are right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um to start, and I know this is, is a sort of joked about frowned upon question with photographer bios and all that. Um, you know, I was handed my first camera when I was thirteen and my life changed from there. But I do want to, you know, just pull back and begin a little bit with a story I, I do like to tell about being maybe 8 years old or something and you know going on a a vacation with my parents and you know my dad taking some foggy photos that he enlarged later on and put on our wall i mean he he wasn't a professional photographer or anything like that but he he put them in this context of of images you would see beyond the photo album and i mm-hmm. that really whenever i kind of think about my career and the way I look at photography, it always goes back to that moment. And and I think I've I may have mentioned that in other interviews before, but I it's it's something that, that always sticks with me because it's it's about looking at photography differently and kind of elevating it. And so like between that moment and um going to a couple museums with with my late sister who is who is nine years older than me and really introduced me to People like Diane Arbus and um, I think Vic Muniz when I was in high school, it really, I think, deserves a lot of credit for the way I think about photography and art today. But getting into kind of career trajectory and all that stuff, um, it you know, I think going to Bard and, and you know, studying with Stephen Shore and On Milay and John Pilson and Larry Fink and Barbara S., Really, kind of crystallized and shaped uh, a lot of the way I see photography and how it works in the world, and uh, this kind of sense of formalism, which most of those uh, those pre- artists uh, kind of, I thought, I think, bring to to the way the way I look at making work and um, and my kind of career in photography. I think of as far as like editing and and pacing photos in a, in a curatorial sense. I remember on me. I think this was in like my sophomore year or junior year. It was either in our four by five class or our, our junior seminar class. She would do an exercise with our own photos of indoor, outdoor. And basically it was just very simple. You know, you would kind of take images that were... In any kind of early or later stage in, in the work that you're producing, and edit them to create a narrative by the simple de- device of of going back and forth between indoor and outdoor images. And while it sounds really kind of simple and and something you that would have a lot of evolution today, et cetera, it really made me think of the curatorial process in a in a way that that you know reflecting on the work I've done as a curator really kind of sits sits in that. That workshop, and has you know I've kind of passed it along along variations of that that exercise with with some students that I've worked with today, and it it really kind of helps in the way that I think about how images work together and relate to each other as as simple as it might sound, so yeah, I mean I think that's that's barred uh, i I had a really really great experience there working with with a lot of different approaches, you know different kind of Photographic and personality approaches of of all the professors. Oh, also Laurie Dahlberg, I I should mention too, who taught photo history and really kind of, I think really shaped this sort of critical eye to writing about photography and to thinking about photo history, which was a nice kind of complement to all the the sort of hands-on work we were doing. Yeah, before I trail off, the question was um how did how did Bard and kind of early career shape take place? Is that? Well, I guess or, just
0: yeah. uh, how, how did you what's the journey been to get you to where you are just, you know, right now as we're chatting, so so include humble and in that and and humble arts and uh, keep going. Okay, keep okay, going. awesome. Yeah. So,
2: I guess so leaving Bard I I got out of Bard and was faced with you know what what am I going to do I'm not immediately going to be able to make a career in editorial photography the the galleries aren't coming at me as young fresh uh, (laughs) photographer with with a voice so what you know what do I do and I I got a job uh, working at a really kind of old school small shop um, stock photography agency called Peter Arnold and this was like. Late late 2003, so it was not pre-internet, but pre-like tech company approach to to stock photography. And the the funny thing at the time was that you know, I I guess a month or so earlier, you know, was deep into the series Six Feet Under, and I remember as as the series was kind of coming to a close or, or in its in its late stages. One of the main characters, Claire, um, was studying she was in art school she was you know studying photography and she had, i think she had, they concluded the series saying she had just graduated and moved to work on for us on for a stock photo agency, but it was positioned as this, this like, her art career was kind of dead. <laughs> and it was this sort of, like, moment of, like, oh, oh that's God. what happens when you get to the real world. You work at some stock photo agency. And it was, like, it was this really kind of interesting, dreary approach. And I thought about it in terms of, like, my own trajectory. And I was, like, oh, wait, this can be interesting. This doesn't have to be, like, this is your, like, selling out, but not even selling out at the grand level. It's just, you know, it's sort of like, it was a really funny, funny kind of moment for me. Um, you know, at the time I continued to make my own work, but I also took, you know, it was, I was able to kind of take a lot of the the critical thinking and looking and all that kind of stuff that I got from Bard and apply it to how I was looking at these stock photos that I was scanning, like Kodachrome slides of, and, you know, then giving photographers feedback on like, Early color correction on in Photoshop and stuff like that, but so that so it was really an, it was kind of a you know I, I was at that agency for for about a year or two and it was a really interesting experience before tech evolved that whole thing because it 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 was kind of this this intimate family environment but just fast forwarding a, a little bit I wound up at Shutterstock a couple of years later as one of the early employees like still in, in the stock photo world. And uh, shortly after I started, Amani Olu, who was Humble's co-founder, had moved up to, to New York City from Philly and was hired uh, as, a, as like another kind of photo editor, customer service, sort of all hands on deck because we were a, a small, scrappy startup company. And uh, our, our CEO at the time, who's John Oranger, he introduced Amani and I, because we both had this interest in like art photography, which was, you know, totally different than, than the kind of work that we were, we were working with at Shutterstock. And we just immediately clicked, you know, Amani had, you know, ideas about starting an online gallery for photography. Um, And this was, this is about 2005. So, you know, it was the days of the early days of the photo blogs of that kind of stuff, but not, not the sort of dedicated online approach to showing photography in a like in a way that like mirrored the gallery world or mirrored how you would see it in the white cube, so we just got to talking and and really got along and put our heads together in terms of like what could this look like, and started this program called Group Show, which was just once a month we would put out an online show of 24 photographs, one photo per photographer. And it was, it started with just, I would invite people I went to school with being, you know, saying, hey, do you want to participate in this online show? Send me a few images and a bio and a statement. And at the same time, we, we put ads up on Craigslist too, you know, for like, you know, art looking for art photographers with, with interesting ideas or something like that. I don't, I don't even remember how we, how we phrased it. And I, I should note at the time, just on a text standpoint, you know, these the, the images were all our our specs were that they had to be five hundred and fifty pixels wide. Which <laughs> thinking about that today, it's like, why were you showing thumbnails? Like what I mean, it's like an elevated thumbnail, but um, but that was our format and and everything, you know, Amani built from scratch. He hand coded. We didn't have the budget to to hire a, a designer. So a few days before the show, I would send, or actually I would I would put all the images I got in the email onto uh, a thumb drive, go into the other room where Imani was, because we were both at Shutterstock and it was, you know, a one to two room office. He'd put it into his computer and then lay it out and upload it. And then we'd put the show up. And uh, and I think one, one thing that we did, one thing that we did early on to build our audience was that you, in order to see the group shows, you had to subscribe and create a login, and that allowed us to quickly kind of build a list and a following uh again independent of social media or anything like that similar to how a newsletter kind of would be built out today but it it created this like initial sort of gate to to getting to getting access to see the shows and it really benefited us to to be able to build that initial kind of community. And then eventually we got rid of it because we didn't want it to feel too exclusive or anything like that. But, but yeah, we, we, we put out these shows monthly um, 24 photographers. Initially we were you know getting a couple hundred submissions and then we're just kind of spread because this project projects like this weren't, didn't exist really at that level at that time um, aside from blogs. And I guess after about five months or so, we just kept getting inquiries into doing other kinds of projects, or like, how could we take this further? And we really, you know, sat down, started doing some physical group shows. I think we did one with the the now defunct Third Ward space in in Bushwick, um, which was took on the physical form of the the one image per photographer group show to kind of show this this broad sense of of how different unrelated work could could connect with each other. Within the span of a year or two, we incorporated as a nonprofit, we started taking on publishing projects, we collaborated with Spin Magazine on a music photography exhibition, which was like, totally not the type of work we we thought we would show. But you know, a lot of the photographers that we'd worked with also did music photography. So it felt like there was a connection. Then we put out, you know, volumes of a book called The Collector's Guide to Emerging Art Photography, which we distributed to gallerists and other People that could really make an impact on the careers of the photographers that we were working with. The ultimate goal was to find ways of getting the right eyes on the photographers we believed in, and getting eyes on people's work without feeling like they had to have art or gallery world connection, um, which is something you know at the time I was coming out of school feeling you know in, in two thousand three that. The only way I would get a show is if I had some, some you know, innate, you know, hyper-connected relationship with the gallery. Um, and we wanted to to democratize that. We wanted to kind of spread it out and, and find as many ways as possible as, as getting the work seen and, and hopefully getting the photographer's job opportunities, opportunities to sell their work and representation in some cases.
0: What was the, d- just trying to figure out, you know, you know, how how did two people come together and determine, you know, what artists should be shown? And, and, you know, was there a preference for a certain type of work? Did you try and cast the net widely? Um, were there sort of biases towards a certain type of work? Sure, sure.
2: I think um, a lot of it came out of, initially, this sort of, like, Bard aesthetic, which I like to sort of joke about, which is like the the junior you know level of the of the Yale aesthetic. At that point, I mean, it was very kind of heavily formally influenced. Like, I loved you know if if someone was shooting four by five, you know, I I I loved that. I was like, oh, okay, great, you know. But I think which I, it has definitely evolved in in my my seeing and the work that I we kind of show now. But I think early on, a, a lot of it was that. Um, but it was also I think our our guiding premise was is there an an interesting mix of aesthetic and concept like are are we drawn to looking at this work and are we drawn to looking at this work not just because it it looks cool or or interesting but because there's there's an underlying idea whether that's you know conceptual political or or super personal driving these these images that that are, are wonderful to look at. Um, is it something we, we 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 like to use the word? Does it make us blink or twitch? And I, I don't know if I'd use those exact words now, but but kind of eliciting a response. And um, yeah, I think that that could that really sums it up early on. Does that does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I was I saw a lot of this work. So, I, do you think that that's changed over the years, or maybe it would be good to explain what humble arts mission is you know now in the the form it's in now
2: yeah definitely i i think the mission itself hasn't really changed that much i think amani
0: is gone right he's not not
2: he's not gone from i mean he takes a less active daily role but he's still he's still there very much you know we're we're in close contact all the time i'll Run ideas by him, um, oh, not okay. necessarily. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily. Like for you know, every time I want to interview someone, I'm not like, "What do you think of this or what do you know?" But as far as like like bigger picture ideas, if I'm inviting a guest curator, um, I won't necessarily like run it by him for approval because we we just sort of are friends and we're collaborative. There's not really a hierarchy in that case. But he's in in the know and in the loop, uh, but has is focusing so much on his business right now and, and his, you know, he's, he's a dad and, you know, we're all multitaskers. So it's, uh, you know, I've, I've been kind of more heavily driving the ship at this point.
0: And he was the first to leave of the two of you to leave the city, um, and sort of bop out of the New York.
2: No, I actually left first. I I left. Yeah. I moved to Seattle in, I think it was February of 2013 and then um, ah,
0: interesting. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, he he moved to to way deep Brooklyn uh, at that time, but he was still in, you know, in New York <laughs> proper. Um, I think
0: that's yeah, it's still considered
2: <laughs> New York. And then um, he I think probably a, a year or two after I left, he moved to to Detroit area um, yeah. to um to focus on on some other projects and uh, and then really to to continue building his his PR and marketing uh, company, which he had, I think he had actually, he had started that when he was still in New York and they had a small office and uh, yeah. they were doing were Yeah, doing he
0: did some work them. for me um, on a show I um, Oh,
2: I didn't know. that Oh, did. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What show another, was that? Or?
0: Another story. Uh, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he did some work for me for a show I did with Matthew Pillsbury called Nate and Me. I think. Oh, I, cool you know at a certain point things start to get oh, yeah. jumbled up in one's mind yeah, um, but totally. i I, th- I think that that's right anyway so so what's Arts, you know sort of mission statement now
2: yeah and it it's interesting that you ask that now cuz we're we're in the process of recrystallizing or rethinking how we talk about our mission but i think in its in a, at its core it really sticks to the original values which are you know creating democratic opportunities for photographers to get their work seen by the right people and finding ways to to scale that out you know as technology changes as the internet changes as apps change and all that but really just you know making sure that work that deserves attention gets that attention
0: i feel like you know, I love the site and am on often, and so I really oh, appreciate thanks. it. Yeah, no, it's 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 a wonderful place to spend time. Awesome, and awesome. I've been introduced to a lot of great work, and I've really loved reading. I think you do a wonderful job of of interviewing artists and. You know, I've I've learned a lot about people um, by by reading your your pieces. So oh, thank you so um, much. That's that's awesome. Love that. I would say now that I've said something nice about you, I'm going to bonk you on the head. (laughs) Yeah, do it. I mean, I would say you know, for me, I I think when you guys started that there was a sort of slickness that I always felt like the work was that you guys were showing was, and I guess it's because of the emphasis on conceptual, but and you know me, I you know what type of work I love and, oh, yeah. and whatnot, but I always found that there was a little bit of a loss of, I don't know, emotion. I, I don't want to get too in the weeds on you know being critical because obviously I think what you've done is just unbelievable. I mean, really just full stop, un- unbelievable. But I do feel like there's been an, an evolution and that I almost feel like Humble and following, humble arts foundation has been like watching you sort of grow up.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: And and I I feel like that's just sort of a really, for those of us who have been, look, I'm older than you, whatever. But so, <laughs> so for all, for those of us sort of in my position, watching the evolution of humble arts, it, it, it has been, I think, like watching a person develop and. Mature and and be more comfortable with expressing feelings and and I'm going to connect this to your own artwork. Here's my bridge because awesome, I think awesome. that <laughs> that's happened with your work also. You know, your early work was was more sort of um, cool, and your work, particularly over the past couple of years, seems to me to have gotten warmer. And it's you know your work is still very formal, et cetera. But I do feel like I get more of a gut punch looking at your work now than I used to. Does does that connect with you or?
2: Oh, totally. Yeah, no. And I I, I really appreciate you saying that. And I not to like throw the flattery back at you because <laughs> I mean that you know I just but like hearing you. You know I've obviously like respected you and your platform immensely and all the work that you've done. And so it's, you know, to to hear that in regard to not just the work at Humble, but like my own work is is incredibly meaningful. And that, you know, a, a lot of the new work, newer work you mentioned is is stuff that I'm still working through. I mean, I guess all work will, is always being worked through, but, but it's something that like hearing that you're responding to it in that way, for me is really reassuring because I, I think... In some ways, it is is a, it is a bit of a new direction, and I think that's I, I don't know what I mean I think that's probably largely just informed by like life stuff and how how yep. the work becomes, you know, not that it wasn't wasn't personal I think earlier I think it would work the work was always personal on some level but I think so much of it now has become more like inwardly personal. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, there's been a lot of kind of this mix of joy, like ultimate joy and ultimate sorrow kind of happening in, in personal life over the past, you know, five or so so years. And, and that's, or even a little bit longer, but, but finding ways to kind of reflect that in, in my work and kind of drive, get, get through that in a way that maybe other folks respond to um, has been, been a challenge and kind of new pathway for me. I think. So yeah does that does that answer the question? <laughs> yes.
0: No. Completely. I mean, what I was thinking is, you know, I always, you know, I always think in in relation to my own life. People have often. I've had a, you know, a working life where there's definitely been a lot of sort of just going up to the cliff and jumping over and being like, I hope the parachute works. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I think that, you know, and people have been very kind and complimentary toward me for sort of living that way, for, for, for being brave. But what I, what I always say is, you know, when the worst thing happens to you in life, and for me the worst thing that could happen was when my brother died when I was 17, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: that you just – you really get brave because the worst thing that, you you know, you survive it. And then other things are just like, well, you know, I don't really care if I do this thing and fall on my face. Like, it puts other things that you've been worried about in perspective, and one of them is failing or looking silly or – and it's not that you don't care, but you you just realize you can absorb it differently. And I sort of wonder if losing your sister – not only put you in touch with different feelings, but also sort of changes how you feel about cert- almost having more capacity and bravery to put more of yourself out in the world.
2: Yeah, I think I think so, and I don't I don't know exactly how to. I, I think you, you nail it completely. I just I, I don't know if I know how to exactly articulate it. Um, a response, That's okay. but we I think we can keep it's, moving.
0: We can leave yeah. it as a state.
2: Well, I think, but I think it does, it, it's more of like being able to kind of sort of abstractly see those feelings in the world in different representations that aren't just like, you know, okay, I'm going to like collect, you know, our sort of images of our our memories or refoto, you know, it's not, it's, it becomes really abstract in those representations, like from, from that work, from the, the recent work I've been making, which is, a large part, kind of, an offshoot of that, but also a lot of other deaths in not my direct family, but like close friends and you know children of yeah. close friends and stuff yeah, like. That. I mean, it's loss. like yeah. it's it's kind of like being feeling like it's be, being surrounded by that, and then COVID hit and all that stuff. So it's like it's it's this like ramping up and you know feeling enveloped by it. Um, And Mm -hmm. finding ways to kind of like express that sense of, of enveloping, but also that there's it, there's a balance there. There are these joy spots and like, how do you articulate both of those in the same frame or something like that? And then even, you know, earlier work with that, I'm still making, you know, about my mother-in-law and seeing, seeing a deteriorating mind in the landscape around me and seeing if I can articulate that visually. Um, So it's, I think that's sort of like my working process kind of right now.
0: (laughs) And tell me, you know, one thing I've really wondered is how has, has there been any negative effect over the years from being Humble Arts Foundation, running Humble Arts Foundation, having your like just absolute soul in Humble Arts Foundation, and being an artist yourself. I mean, I would I would just think that that degree of having sort of analytics, the constant, you know, analyzing of other people's work, would would mess with any sort of innocence that you might need when embarking on a a project of your own. I mean, ha- how have you managed that, or has it just not been a problem at all?
2: Um, I don't. I don't think it's been a problem, but it's definitely been something that I, I think about all the time and, and have from the beginning. And I think one way to kind of not solve this, but one way that to, that I've dealt with it is from day one kept my own work out of humble projects with the, the exception of one bo- the first book we did the collector's guide to emerging art photography, I think in 2008, I put one, a photo of mine in that because I was like, you know what? I'm spending all this time on it. I'm just going to put my photo in and that's, I'm going to be okay with that. Um, I, I probably wouldn't do that today, but aside from that, you know, it's really been a, this sort of like very clear separation to make sure that I'm, doing justice to the photographers I'm working with and not giving myself an unfair eye or advantage. But that being said, you know, I constantly, you know, if I get into an exhibition, you know, I, I wonder like, oh, is, am I getting in from for the strength of my work? Or am I getting in because I'm John from Humble? And that's at no, that is not a negativity towards any of the curators who are putting me in, I, I love them all so much. It's more of my own self-deprecation, <laughs> you know, that, uh, about that kind of stuff. But I definitely, I think, and I couldn't pinpoint a specific photographer, so I've always just been looking at so much work. But I'm sure all of the, I'm sure my work with Humble and all the work that I'm looking with has in some way influenced how I'm seeing and the images I'm making and the, the visual approach. I mean, that's, it's just there's no way around that but i guess a little bit back to your question i think maybe if i hadn't if i wasn't so focused on humble you know and the full time jobs i've had and all that kind of stuff you know and had had the sort of means to to exclusively focus on my own work um sure i think it would it would probably be at a different level and i'd probably de- be in a different like sort of career practice place and i do it's it is something I think about from time to time, but I think I've been able to to at least in different waves during different periods over the past, you know, 15 or so years, been able to find that time and emotional place to kind of carve out a spot for my own work and carve out time to make it, maybe just in a slightly d- different kind of place time-wise.
0: You know, it's really interesting because, you know, one of the reasons not one of yeah, maybe the reason, I don't know anyway, One of the reasons why I did the book photo work was because I was trying to prove the point that there isn't one right way of doing things. And, you know, there's certain questions in the book that are hilarious where, (laughs) you know, what comes first, you know, the idea for a project or the photograph that then gives (laughs) you the idea for a project, (laughs) you know, and some people are like, it's absolutely this one. And other people are like, no, it's absolutely this one. And it's just so funny hearing you answer my last question because, you know, I know artists who, you know, are like allergic to seeing too much work by other people Yeah, while they're making work because it just gets in their head in a way that so it's just, you know, once again, you know, different strokes for different folks because for you, you know, you can spend all day thinking about other people's work. I mean, really critically thinking about it because that's what you do. And that's not a problem for you. It sounds like really at all, other than the fact that you know it, it takes up time. But it's it's anyway. I just think that that's sort of amazing. It's almost as if you um, <laughs> have like amazing abilities to c- compartmentalize, um, which huh? is I actually think is a superpower.
2: But um, awesome. Thanks. No, I I I don't know if I would. I mean, I think that gives me more compartmentalizing credit because I think there is stuff bleeds all <laughs> over the place, I think. But I think at least I like to try to think, of, you know, I can do that, yeah. but it's, it's, um, it, you know, everything is messy, I think is sort of like, yeah. it's, you know, um, but I do think, you know, as far just with photographers, I think without trying to con- contradict people too much, I do, uh, it, it is frustrating to speak to photographers who, don't ever want to look at other people's work and who like you know especially in portfolio reviews say like who are you looking at and there's i feel like there's a a certain response that a lot of photographers will give and that you know that they're focused on their own work and they don't look at they you know it's like operating in a vacuum and i don't i don't think that does anyone any help because we're we're in a world where we're not going to we're going to have influence in every capacity always on us so like why can't one of those influences, especially for working in photography, be photography? I mean, it should. And I don't think it means that you're immediately going to just make a whole series that looks identically like Stephen Shore or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's, you know, but you can having that sort of landscape in your mind is uh, is always helpful and beneficial, um, I think. And, you know, I, I respect every different way of working Totally. But I think it's, I I just think ultimately, my point is like, don't be closed off to anything. Or ultimately, I think the suffering will be bigger, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, no. I mean, look, personally, I'm big, you know, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, like, I think influence is hugely important. I mean, I think when you start thinking about someone else's work is when you start sharpening your critical thinking. I mean, it's, it's like sharpening a knife um, because you have oh, to totally. think, what do I think works about this? What do I think doesn't work? What am I relating to? Oh, I'm relating to that. How can I use that as a jumping off point for something I want to go to next? I mean, it just yeah. gives you the advantage of not having a complete blank page. And, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people have made this analogy, but, you know, it's like the jazz, the the, the perfect jazz band yeah. that's into one of those fantastic solo periods where, you know, the, <laughs> the first solo goes, then the second solo, then the next, you know, the, yeah. the, the trumpet player, then the sax player, then the piano player. The, and it, and one just keeps getting more insane and amazing than the next, and it's like, it's a handoff. It's like a relay race. And, you know, I I, I like to think about making art that way. It was really fun talking to Christine Potter a couple shows ago. And, you know, she talked about, you know, starting running photography with Mark Steinmetz and then wound oh, up okay. doing a lot with Peel de And, you you know, you, you look at her work and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, that just <laughs> makes so much sense. That's so you funny. know, and it's just and then, you know, but of course, her work is completely her own. I mean, oh, completely. Yeah, I um, know. I love
2: I've I've loved her work for for years. Yeah, she's great.
0: Yeah, Yeah, shout out to Christine. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So tell me, you know, what are your when you think about, you know, your artwork? I, I don't think you're working with a gallery now. Does that feel like you know, I'll I'll just lead this question, because I think that's much less of an issue than it, it used to be for a, m- yeah. a million reasons. Um, totally, totally. But but how? Do, yeah, how do you think about that? Is is that an okay place to be?
2: Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it really just comes down to the rapport and relationship that and, and you know, sense of trust that an artist can have with a gallery, and whether it's, whether that relationship is something that leads to a mix of, sales, you know, getting into the right collections, the having more eyes, like h- how that impacts a career. I mean, there's there's so many different factors. For me, you know, if if a gallery wanted to work with me, I'd love to have that conversation. But I, I think, you know, but I think it's it's sort of the bigger picture. I think it's, it really, it really just, as with anything, it all depends on whether the the relationship is trusting and mutually beneficial. And I think, you know, now, the world has changed what artists can kind of do on their own has changed. There's tons of, you know, artists I know who are just completely selling their work off of Instagram. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's crazy, like to hear stories and, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing and encouraging. And I I love hearing that. Um, But that's not, you know, that requires a really good grasp on, on social media beyond just having great work that's sellable and, not every artist has that. A lot of artists don't. And if if a gallery is a better place to to help move an artist's goals forward, then then that's the right venue for them. So I think it really all depends on, on the artist and what they're comfortable with and, and where their work is.
0: I agree. So tell me, um, as we sort of approach wrapping things up, but tell yeah. me what, which project are you working on of yours the most right
2: now? So it's probably... I mean I'm still working on the the breathers series which is the the sort of like typological black and white portraits of of trees that are in the northwest that are kind of metaphors for my my mother-in-law's early onset Alzheimer's disease but that's as far as like making work daily and weekly it's it's probably this newer series called True North yeah. which I started probably Pretty seriously, in last April or so, really, as the pandemic was in in full swing for lack of a better word, and you know i I should note you know i in addition to all the work that I do you know i'm i've i've been close to full time dad i've you know a two and a half year old almost two and a half year old daughter and you know, was going, spending a lot of the time, kind of going on these long walks with her, uh, and still am. And there's this something incredibly like psychological about that process. You know, especially in the early days where I was still like wearing her around my, you know, on my chest. But then, you know, she grew up a little bit, and we didn't do that anymore. But, um, but I think that that made me start seeing things in my everyday. Even, you know, whether it was like, whether we're going kind of to the beach, just, you know, in the, the cold of the beach or any of that, you know, and and seeing, being with this, this person of ultimate joy amidst a world that felt like it was getting untangled uh, or getting tangled. I don't, whatever, <laughs> whatever, you know, speaks to the negativity of, of, of the world, um, and, you know, also in conjunction with all these kind of, you know, these deaths and moments of sorrow um, that have kind of been building up over the past few years. And so I just kind of started seeing representations of that so abstractly in just what was around me in the, in the sky and, you know, in the water, on the beach, you know, things that kind of almost feel like visual cliches in a lot of ways, but like finding ways of of really just getting like super into the thick of it and into like how that how they really spoke to what was kind of going on in my gut, um, in my in my heart and all all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and interestingly, like, almost all of that work is made on my iPhone, something I would mm. never have imagined to, you know, thinking about as a, as a quote, serious camera, especially coming from a sort of like four by five background. I think, you know, two years ago, I would have told a, a student to to quickly move on to a medium format or, you know, digital SLR if they were making work with an iPhone, but I kind of found a way to make it work formally. I'm not going to be making gigantic prints with these photos, but I don't think they are intended to be seen at large scale. These are really like very personal inward kind of reflections that probably won't be seen larger than 11 by 14. Uh, I think the main point is to kind of look into them, you know, as they're these sort of portals and to really come close and have that closer experience with them, not standing back.
0: Well, you're certainly not, first of all, I think it would be a beautiful book project. I mean, oh, I thank that's, you. That's obvious. Um, awesome. I hey, felt that way. Uh,
2: publishers seeing this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Let exactly. me give a plug. <laughs> Sasha signs <laughs> off on that. Um, no, but no, uh, thank yeah. you. I really, that's awesome. I'll, I, I'll buy I the, first, that so much. the first
0: book. But, um, you know, I I know you know this, that there's a lot of sort of former large format photographers now who haven't given up their, their large format camera but are using, I know a lot of people <laughs> using an iPhone. I mean, I have very yeah. mixed feelings about it, but I think some of that is just my old-fashionedness. But, you know, there's no you know, I I mean, I really love this series. Oh, thank you so much. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I honestly, like. I don't mean to have the sort of Wayne's World moment of, you know, not worthiness, but I really, I appreciate that so much. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, no,
0: no, I love it. It's really, I mean, it's, it's obviously, you know, Flowers for True North Breathers is, you know, the work that I have been really struck by the you know, the feeling, the feelings that are are coming through, busting oh, through, um, and, and reaching me, which I, you know, really appreciate. That's, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Um, awesome.
2: as a viewer, no, so. thank you so much. I really, that, that means a lot to me, especially with just with this work being so personal, uh, it, it, that you responding that way, it, it, Means more than you can imagine. So I thank
0: you. Uh, <laughs> well, it's really my a, a pleasure. I really, I, you know, I, I I confess that I hadn't been on your website, your your of your photography for a while because I, I do my relationship with you is is mostly been around friendship and humble arts, and I do spend a lot of time on the humble site. And so when I knew I was going to talk to you, and I, you know, knew I wanted to talk to you about your own work as well, I. I brought up the your website and it it, it just I was I, I I have to say it was definitely like wow
2: okay,
0: Thank you. <laughs> uh, so it's it's been yeah it's really been such a joy so tell me um before we wrap up any humble news any any what's uh what's the next big thing at humble anything to any breaking news to report
2: um so uh, a couple things I mean not super major but pretty you know stuff that we're doing um and that's probably me just you know being quote humble about about whatever you know um it's so we we have an open call that we just launched um for our next online group show which is uh called embracing stillness and it's with it's going to be co-curated by myself and sarah urbais who is the former photo editor from wired and is just like doing such amazing work in the sort of like you know, hovering between editorial, fine art, and commercial space as mm-hmm. as an editor, and she she also runs a, a a platform called Listo, which is all about championing diverse voices in photography and uh, lesser represented voices. And she's just just really wonderful to work with. We we met at Photo Lucida a couple of years ago, and I've been wanting to find a way to collaborate with her. And it just, it made so much sense with, you know, right now and with with talking through a lot of ideas with her. So that that show, the deadline for, for those listening to this before, this deadline is is going to be March 1st of 2021. And it's all about looking for these kind of still quiet moments of beauty and self-reflection within really kind of harrowing times. And also within the context of, the images that we see in popular media that are always, not always, but often hyper-immediate, loud, like, you know, elicit an immediate response, um, especially with, like, popular media images, um, and looking for a kind of alternative means of reflection. So that I'm super excited about that. That will go live um, probably at the end of March on our website. We've also, like, changed the structure of how we do a lot of these open calls. Uh, we've never had at least for online shows, an official submission fee. But we decided as a means of both supporting causes that we believe in and finding a way to support the guest curators to have an optional submission fee where people can either like Venmo the curator and or or uh, a list of organizations. In this case, it's Venmoing the curator um, or contributing to her platform, Listo. And it's a way of kind of Sort of informally but but also directly getting people compensated for for what they're worth, or getting organizations we believe in compensated, so we're really excited about that. Also, we're bringing back humble's email newsletter, which was quiet for about two years, and just as really having another channel for getting eyes on photographers we believe in and getting more consistent eyes on humble's projects and website mainly because you know instagram algorithms are always getting crazy and evolving and you know finding ways to limit our reach and we want to make sure that we we have that sort of community dedicated area to do that and and really really excited about that that should drop probably in early february and also really excited this this is Not so much news anymore because it happened a few months ago, but we brought on Rula Cycli, who is a wonderful curator and writer and someone I've collaborated on a lot of projects with. For the past few years, she's been a really active writer and interviewer on our blog and for a while was senior editor, but she's in the past few months come on as co-curatorial director to have a much more active role in the curatorial strategy around the ideas and the type of work we show. And she's really kind of my day-to-day co-captain or whatever you want to call it, you know, where yep. we, we work very closely. And she's someone, if folks are not familiar with her work, should really um, check it out. She has a, a Contently page right now with all of her writing on it. it but if you just Google Rula Cycly or look for her uh, information on our about page on Humble's website. She's a really wonderful person to, to make sure you have on on your radar. And the last thing before we are out of time is another another piece of work that's taking up a lot of my time in, in a really positive way right now is, I guess about a year and a half ago, I joined The Loop, which is a a new platform that helps to connect women and women identifying commercial photographers with brands around the world to produce really exciting progressive content and i've been doing a lot of like content development and blog stuff and and social media stuff for them we're founded by by Karen Sachs who's someone i i worked with closely back in my days at at Shutterstock but uh for any any women or women identifying folks out there who are interested in Shooting for brands or have experience shooting for brands, I would definitely encourage you to check it out. It's spelled L U U P E, and we're going to be continuing to do some some really amazing stuff in the in the coming months and years. So, just wanted to give a quick plug for that. Yeah, one right too. on. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's all so, really... self-sponsored post. But, no, but... <laughs> no,
0: it's all exciting, but you know, for you, but more importantly, everything you're saying is. Really helpful to the people listening to this podcast, or at least some of them, and and you know so it, it's great. And thank you. And John, thank you so much for you know spending time today. And uh, I haven't seen you in a long time. I miss you. Wish I, know, I could give you a hug. Um, <laughs> I remember when I first met you. Um, I think it was two thousand and eight. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We were both. Is it powerhouse we or no? You know user? where it was. It was it's so funny because it's connected to where I am right at this moment. But it was a portfolio review that we were both doing for the Center for Photography at
2: Woodstock. Oh, yeah, in, and we were in, on in the New panel York City, Foley together, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that yeah. was
0: uh, that's when I first met you, and I remember standing outside. I think we were on <laughs> Washington Street. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I was probably smoking a cigarette, knowing me. Anyway kicking back and i remember it was the first time i had a long talk with you and i was like i like this guy
2: yeah no like so. I, I just want just to just add to that because it's it's funny <laughs> it's so funny because my original memory was it as powerhouse but i think that was like the second or third time we met. yeah but, but like with it's funny that you mentioned the cigarette thing because i i remember like i i don't smoke and i didn't at the time but i remember being like Sasha is awesome. And despite like me not being a smoker, I will like sit and like I would even smoke like five cigarettes right now because I really enjoy hanging out with her and talking about work and <laughs> life and stuff. And I like it would like this is just awesome. Like, and it's just like it's that it's just like a really warm memory for me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's good funny connection. that you bring it yeah. up in a similar way. So, oh, that's, awesome. that's nice.
0: All right. Well, Neutral admiration society. So, big hug awesome. and stay <laughs> yeah, safe and be you well. Too. And I will talk to you soon.
2: Okay, sounds great. Okay, all right, bye. Okay, bye bye.
1: Photo work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chovan Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by Jay Walter Hawks. You can hear Photowork on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.